millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapter 15 of Allegiant. So where we left off, they went outside of the city. They went through the fence, although seemingly the fence did not get mentioned. Like on the train, she kept mentioning like, oh, we're on the train. The fence is getting closer. Then she got off the train and then they were just on the other side. I don't remember reading about them actually going through the fence. So I don't know if there was a hole in the fence, if someone opened up a gate. I'm unclear on that, but who cares? Who cares really? Because then they got to O'Hare Airport. Previously, it was most famous because that's the airport that uh, Macaulay Culkin gets lost in Home Alone 2. But now there's another cultural impact. We've got a setting for Allegiant. O'Hare Airport moving up in the world. And I've been to O'Hare Airport. And let me just tell you, meanest lady at the check-in counter for Delta or whatever. She was like, that bag's too heavy. And I was like, shut up. And so then I waited again and she was like, it's still three pounds over. And I was like, bitch, can you step off my neck? Oh, I really did not like that woman. Uh, But you know what? Rest assured, I put on my six jackets. I got a tote bag out and I filled that bitch up with shoes. And actually I chucked a pair of shoes out, but I didn't pay for excess baggage. So take that Delta lady at the check-in counter at O'Hare Airport in Chicago. Tough tits to you, I say. Anyway, back to a legion. Okay, so where were we? Oh yeah, they're at the airport and they just met David, who was the guy behind this experiment or some shit. And he's in a photo with Triss's mum. And he's like, guys, we've been waiting for you. Time to tell you the big story. And so now we get the big story. So chapter 15 is from Triss's perspective and she's looking at the photo and then she's looking at this guy, David, and she's comparing him in the photo to the guy in front of her. And she says, the man in front of me, David, is in the photo next to my mother, his face a little smoother, his middle a little trimmer. Ooh, she read that bitch for filth. She pretty much just said he's got saggy skin and a big old gut. And then she's covering up the photo of her mother with her fingertip. I I guess because she doesn't want to look at her. And it's like, well, just put the photo away. You don't have to be staring at the photo. I don't understand. And she says, all the hope growing inside me has withered because she thinks if my mother or my father or my friends were still alive, they would have been waiting by the doors for our arrival. I should have known better than to think that what happened with Amar, whatever it was, could happen again. Oh my God, she actually thought she was going to get reunited with her dead relatives. I read that last chapter and I was like, surely not. Surely she doesn't actually think people can come back from the dead. But you know what? She did think that. And Amar, yes, has come back from the dead, but we don't know the details yet. So David, he says, I'm the leader of the Bureau of Genetic Welfare. I'm going to do my best to explain things. You'd think they'd have a PowerPoint presentation, you know? 
Because Amar's come out of the experiment. So unless he was sent in there as a plant, clearly they've given this spiel to people before where they've tried to explain that, you know, your whole existence was a lie. The factions were all made up, all that crap. You'd think they would have just thrown together a little PowerPoint slide and really eased that transition. But no, David's got to do it. And he's acting like it's the first time he's ever had to do it. Even though I know someone's explained to Amar what the what is. So David says, the first thing you should know is that the information Edith Pryor gave you is only partly true. So that's disappointing because we sort of ended the last book with Edith Pryor's video being like, oh my God, this is earth shattering stuff. And then 15 chapters into this one, we're like, actually she lied. Actually, not that big of a deal. She was spinning a yarn, which makes me think like, why bother? What? (sighs) We're just going to have a lot of questions as we unpack this chapter. But a lot of it comes back to why bother? Like, why does any of this exist? Okay, let's, let's move on. So Edith Pryor was a dirty, dirty liar. He says, she provided only as much information as you needed to meet the goals of our experiments. Which again is interesting because I don't know if they did need that information. I don't know if that information helped. Uh, Not everyone knew the information. I guess the abnegation knew the information. And so that leads me to believe that the abnegation was sort of running the experiment within Chicago. But then Janine found out that information and seemingly sabotaged the experiment. So, okay, let's just roll with it. So Tobias, he says, you keep talking about experiments. What were these experiments? Poor Tobias. He's not that quick, is he? He doesn't realize that he is the experiment. He's thinking like, oh, were there experiments going on? I don't know what he's expecting, but he's like, where were these experiments? I missed them. I didn't see them. And so then David looks to Amar and he says, where did they start when they explained it to you? Okay, so this is David's first time. Someone else explained it to Amar. And Amar goes, it doesn't matter where you start. It's still a confusing head fuck. So yeah, just spill your guts. So David says, okay, a long time ago, the United States government and Uriah goes, the United what? (laughs) And Amar's like, oh my God, it's a country, a big one. It's got borders, it's got its own governing body, and we're in the middle of it right now. And David's getting annoyed, being like, oh my God, I can't say anything without getting interrupted. So he goes, all right, okay, a few centuries ago, which is interesting. So it's been centuries since society collapsed. Okay, let's just get into it. A few centuries ago, the government of this country became interested in enforcing certain desirable behaviors in its citizens, okay? There had been studies that indicated that violent tendencies could be partially traced to a person's genes. A gene called the murder gene was the first of these. Okay. But there were quite a few more genetic predispositions toward cowardice, dishonesty, low intelligence, all the qualities, in other words, that ultimately contribute to a broken society. So when he said that, like a few centuries ago, I was like, yeah, I guess, I guess that is what people thought in like the 1800s, in the 1700s. Sure, I, I can see how that was preliminary genetic theory. Um, but no, okay. But I think he's referring to something that's happened, I don't know, in our present. I'm unclear on the timeline, honestly, because in, in one chapter, the Hancock building exists with the working elevator. In another chapter, it's been generations that they've been trapped in that city with no elevator maintenance. So I'm still struggling to pinpoint it, but that's a few centuries ago from this point. So I, I fuck knows. I don't know when this is set. It can't be hundreds of years since the Hancock building. She was just looking at ads for Pepsi on, on a subway wall. And now, and now they're saying it's been centuries. I don't understand. Okay. So centuries ago, they were like, oh, there's a murder gene. There's genes that lead to a broken society with dishonesty and cowardice, etc." 
So he says, obviously there are quite a few factors that determine personality, yeah, obviously, including a person's upbringing and experiences. But despite the peace and prosperity that had reigned in this country for nearly a century, it seemed advantageous to our ancestors to reduce the risk of these undesirable qualities showing up in our population by correcting them. In other words, by editing humanity. Okay. Well, you, you meant to tell me that centuries ago, they had the skill, the, the know-how to edit genes in order to get a peaceful society. And so what they did was they just, what, they, they picked people who were selfish and said, you're going to have an abnegation gene now. And they manipulated their genes. They, they picked people who were dumb and gave them smart genes. What? 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 Okay, so it seems far-fetched to me that this society centuries ago, well, America centuries ago, managed to do genetic manipulation on people. And like what, people agreed to this? No offense to American listeners, but you can't even get fucking gun control. And yet you've got genetic manipulation on a widespread scale for things that aren't that important, really. I mean, the murder gene, like, sure, you had me there, but they're just fixing people who have genetic predispositions to cowardice, uh, low intelligence, dishonesty, selfishness. Like, those, those are your priorities. Like, oh, there's a poor Doris with a fear of clowns in Idaho. Let's mess with her genes so she's no longer afraid of clowns. Like, what? What? You've got all this power and resource and that's what you want to do? And whatever leadership of the country, put, put that through. They got that through. What? And this is during peacetime. It's not like there was a huge war. He says, in peace and prosperity, they decided, let's reduce the risk of undesirable qualities like selfishness and cowardice. Let's, let's deal with the murder gene later. So David says that's how the experiment was born. It takes several generations for any kind of genetic manipulation to manifest. Then why fucking bother is what I say. But people were selected from the general population in large numbers according to their backgrounds or behavior. See, I don't love that. Do not love what that seems to suggest according to their backgrounds. Uh, Like, is anyone else reading between the lines thinking that it was like a, a race thing or a socioeconomic thing? I don't know. I don't know. I feel uncomfortable with this genetic manipulation thing. Uh, So he says they were given the option. Okay, at least it was optional to give a gift to our future generations, a genetic alteration that would make their descendants just a little bit better. Uh, I, I call BS. I call BS because apparently you're only targeting people who are afraid and dishonest and dodgy and, and dumb and unfriendly, and these are the people that said, yes, actually, I would like you to mess with my genes so that my descendants eight generations from now can be a little bit better. Those people aren't signing up for this. What do they get out of it? And this is big news to me. I'm reading this thinking like, whoa, that's so stupid. But Tris goes, yeah, this is nothing new. She says, this is just the same philosophy that spawned the factions driving people to manipulate their genes instead of separating into virtue-based groups. She's like, I understand it. On some level, I even agree with it. And she goes, but I don't know how it relates to us here now. Like, oh my God, Tris. So then David says, but when the genetic manipulations began to take effect, the centuries later, the alterations had disastrous consequences. As it turns out, the attempt had resulted not in corrected genes, but in damaged ones. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thought that messing with people's genes 
would have maybe made an oopsie instead of actually making better people. Like what? How far-fetched? David says, take away someone's fear or low intelligence or dishonesty and you take away their compassion. Take away someone's aggression and you take away their motivation. Take away their selfishness and you take away their sense of self-preservation. Yeah, you fuck with people's genes, you screw them up. Why is this a big revelation? And Triss is like, wait a minute. He's talking about the factions. And it's like, oh my God. Who took away your intelligence, Triss? And she's like, yeah. Yeah, every faction does lose something when it gains a virtue. The Dauntless are brave, but cruel. The Erudite are intelligent, but vain. Vain? Are they the the vain ones, are they? I would have called them the cruel ones. The Amity are peaceful, but passive. Okay, you say that. And yet Joanna's there leading a rebellion and helped you escape last night. Kanda are honest, but inconsiderate. Well, I think Christina, who was raised in a Kanda, is very considerate to you considering you killed a boyfriend. Like, the abnegation is selfless, but stifling. Yeah, I'll agree with that one. That's true. So David says, humanity has never been perfect, but the genetic alterations made it worse than it had ever been before. (laughs) This manifested in what we call the purity war. Not a very catchy title. He says, it was a civil war waged by those with damaged genes against the government and everyone with pure genes. What? The purity war caused a level of destruction formerly unheard of on American soil. Eliminating almost half of the country's population. What was the rest of the world doing while this happened? And what's the rest of the world doing right now? Like we in Australia just looking going, what the fuck? (laughs) What? So there was a purity war, a civil war between those with damaged genes and those without damaged genes. And how do they self-identify? Like how did, how how do you know you have damaged genes? You just what do a family tree, you go to ancestry.com and you figure out if your ancestor got their genes played with, or is it just like you are, so wrecked as a human, like your personality is so shit. You're like, oh, well, my genes have been fucked up. And yet many people without fucked up genes exist. I mean, in real life, there's a lot of dishonest people who are just dishonest, not because of their genes. Like, I don't understand that. I'm clearly not a scientist. I haven't done a lot of genetic theory, but I'm not buying this. I know enough to call this BS out. So there was a civil war. And how many people were affected? If half the people died, that means at least like half the people are fighting. That means like half of that half have fucked up genes, which uh, so uh, at least 25% of the population have fucked up genes. How many people volunteered a few hundred years ago? Like we can't even do a vaccine rollout with everybody wanting to get the vaccine for COVID. But apparently there was this huge uptake for people to get their genes messed with. What, what in the what? And a civil war between those with damaged genes and undamaged genes. How do you, how do you tell each other apart? Were there uniforms? There must've been uniforms. Were there secret meetings? Like, how do you, oh, I, don't, I don't get it. And they're all just like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. And then someone at the control room desk says, oh, the visual's up. And so the screens ahead of them show up a map of America. And David's like, this is our country before the purity war. And this is after. And then like lights that are on the map start disappear, indicating that people have died. And she's like, mm, that makes sense. I was expecting that there was some cataclysmic event because the lake, Lake Michigan was dried up. Remember, that's a huge feature of their city that the lake is dried up. How, how does a purity war cause that? Surely global warming is involved as well. All this time I've been thinking it was global warming, but no, it was a purity war. So Triss is looking at all the lights disappearing on the map and she's like, holy wow, that's crazy. Lots of people died. How about that? And so David says, when the war was finally over, 
not sure how it was over. Like, I don't know. I don't know how that one got resolved, but when the war was finally over, the people demanded a permanent solution to the genetic problem. Is it a problem? And that is why the Bureau of Genetic Welfare was formed. Armed with all the scientific knowledge at our government's disposal, our predecessors designed experiments to restore humanity to its genetically pure state. Okay, so you're telling me we just had a whole war, a civil war that killed half of America, which was started because people started messing around with people's genes. And now to fix it, they're going to try and mess with people's genes. Who signed off on that in the treaty? So he says they called, I don't know who they is, I guess the Bureau. They called for genetically damaged individuals to come forward so that the Bureau could alter their genes. What? What? Okay. Picture yourself. You're a genetically impacted individual. You're, You're not pure. You've just been in a civil war that's raged for however long. You've survived that civil war. The war's ended. And then the new government says, hey, everyone with fucked up genes, do you want to come forward? Uh, Do you want to volunteer? Like, if that were me, I'd be like, keeping quiet. I'd be hiding in my house. I wouldn't be going out and putting my hand up being like, oh, that's me. I'm genetically fucked up. Because I would think that they were trying to round me up and kill me. So I wouldn't even volunteer, let alone say, yeah, of course, of course, I'm in this position because I'm genetically fucked up. But please fuck up my genes again to course correct. I mean, you couldn't figure it out hundreds of years ago, but I'm sure you'll figure it out now. Like, why does everyone have so much confidence in this Bureau of Genetic Welfare? I wouldn't be confident in them. No way. So then these people who volunteered, the Bureau then placed them in secure environments to settle in for the long haul equipped with basic versions of the serums, oh my God, to help them control their society. So there's more complicated versions of the serums out there. That's fucking good to know. So they set up these cities like Chicago, they they fence them around so that after generations and generations pass, their genes would be fixed. So if they have that technology in that point in time to change their genes again, why do we need to send them into like a breeding pen in a locked off Chicago? Like if the technology exists, just Change everyone's genes. What? I don't understand it. He says they would wait for the passage of time for the generations to pass for each one to produce more genetically healed humans, or as you currently know them, the divergent. Okay. So the whole purpose of the experiment was to get divergent people like Triss. So you're telling me Triss is the template? She's genetically pure? which really just means she's an ordinary human being with, with faults that have not been corrected. But also in that aptitude test, she was only deemed apt for abnegation, erudite, and dauntless. She was, she's not Amity or Candor. I guess that's not the point. But isn't there that whole thing where she's resistant to serums? She's resistant to the truth serum. What's that got to do with her being genetically pure, AKA a normal human being when she's got superpowers? She's got superpowers. They couldn't control her mind. She can lie under truth serum. I know they're the basic forms of the serum. So like, but, but why is she super powered? So clearly she's not genetically pure. They've clearly messed with her genes so that she has this resistance to serums. But or maybe, or maybe Veronica Roth's just not going to address that. Maybe David's not going to address that. We don't know. Okay, we don't know. So they want divergent people who are also superheroes. And isn't that the thing where there's been a few divergent, like Tobias is divergent. Tori's brother was divergent. Amar was divergent. Her mom was divergent. Everyone's fucking divergent. But Triss is like 
special for some reason. So if that's the case, like how is, how is her divergence difference to everybody else's? I, I don't understand. If it's just about genes being course corrected. So as soon as he says divergent, Triss is like, oh my God, that's me. She starts to have a little bit of a panic attack. She's trying to calm her heartbeat and not freak out, but she's like, oh my God, divergent, that's me. And so then he says, your city is one of the experiments for genetic healing and by far the most successful one because of the behavioral modification portion, the factions that is. So the other cities don't have the factions. I guess they're just, yeah, regular old breeding pens. I The factions seem unnecessary. He's telling me that it works better, but it does seem unnecessary to me, considering that's what you wanted to prevent. Like you got into this mess because you were focusing on people's personality types and trying to fix them. And then there was a huge civil war. You get these genetically impure people, you put them in a city, lock them up and divide them back into the personality types that you first were trying to weed out. What? He says the factions were our predecessors attempt to incorporate a nurture element to the experiment. They discovered that mere genetic correction was not enough to change the way people behaved. Well, do we need to? Like, isn't that what got you into this mess in the first place? He says a new social order combined with the genetic modification was determined to be the most complete solution to the behavioral problem that the genetic damage had created. Well, I suppose when you put it like that, They had to have done something. If they've just locked up everyone with a behavioral problem baked into their genes, they've locked them all up and put them into one city. Like, of of course, it's going to be shit. Of course, you're going to have to create fake rules to try and get them to behave. I, I, I guess that makes sense. And yet people died. There was a whole genocide of abnegation people and they were watching on security screens, just letting it happen. They want everyone to become divergent. That's the aim of the experiment. And then they had Janine rise up and start to actively kill all divergent people. And they just watched and and no one threw in like an assassin to try and knock Janine off her perch. Like pretty lazy experimentation. If you're not going to stop someone trying to kill everybody that is the hope of civilization, apparently. Well, maybe they did send Tobias's mum in there to do the dirty work of getting rid of Janine. But that that raises the question. How do the factionless play into this? They're like, oh, the experiment went so well because we have these factions and yet you had a whole group of people called the factionless. What personality trait is that trying to weed out when you're factionless? I don't understand. So he says the factions were later introduced to most of our other experiments, three of which are currently active. I wonder where they are. He says, we have gone to great lengths to protect you, observe you and learn from you. No, you haven't because Tris herself has almost died like six times. And yet what's Canada thinking? Like what? What's Mexico thinking down there? Are they just thinking, who are is it like a Handmaid's Tale situation? What are the rest of the world thinking just watching all of these cities get locked up with giant fences and split into faction systems? I don't know. All right, Veronica, this is the dumbest thing I've ever read. And I've read Twilight. So Kara, she's smart, obviously, even though she's genetically damaged, she's smart. She says, okay, so when Edith said that we were supposed to determine the cause of divergence and come out and help you, that was a lie, right? And he's like, yeah, we just called them divergent because we wanted to make sure that the leaders of your city valued them. And then he says, we didn't expect the leader of Erudite to start hunting them down. <laughs> well, 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 she did. And you did nothing to stop her, as far as I'm aware. And he says, contrary to what Edith Pryor said, we never really intended for you to send a divergent army out to us. We don't actually need your help. Oh, oh, okay. You just gave me a whole spiel about how like, they're gonna save society. But he's like, we don't actually need you, but thanks. 
He says, we just need your healed genes to remain intact to be passed on to future generations. But why, why, why could you not just heal the genes with your genetic manipulation software that you have? I'd, surely you're gonna have to integrate these people into society at some point to start knocking up the normies on the outside. Isn't that, uh, isn't that what you're meant to be doing? Or <laughs> Oh, and so then Caleb, he is not taking kindly to this because he thinks he's top shit because he's genetically damaged. That's why he has this like brain thing where he thinks that only smart people are important. He goes, what? So what you're saying is if we're not divergent, we're damaged. And David's like, yeah, genetically damaged. That's exactly right. And Caleb's like, well, fuck that. Caleb's like, I'm smart. So you're saying that because my ancestors were altered to be smart, I, their descendant, can't be fully compassionate? Um, well, your actions sort of speak for themselves, Caleb. Like you, you did sort of betray your sister and lead her to her possible death. And David's like, yeah, that's exactly right. And he says, because of the faction system, the behavioral component, he says, they weren't actually able to tell if someone's genes were damaged or healed just from their behavior. I guess what he's saying is like, yeah, Triss's genes are healed. And yet when she was in abnegation, she was still really fucking annoying. So if you can't tell from the behavior, then what are we doing here? What, how has this not been shut down? It's been generations generation. So like what, like 150 years, 200 years perhaps. And the experiment's still going. No one else has come into power and been like, what, we're spending how much on what? We've got a team of all our top scientists just hanging out in an airport, watching people in a locked up city. No, let's go cure the murder gene. Let's go cure cancer. What? If I, if I became president of the newly formed whatever states of America this is, I don't know if they're united or not, honestly. I'd be like, can we do some cost cutting measures here? I'm not running this decades long experiment any longer. So then Amar says, genes aren't everything. People, even genetically damaged people make choices. That's what matters. And yet you gave none of these people a choice when you locked them up in the city and made them breed to try and fix their genes. Like what? Well, I guess the first wave of people had a choice. Apparently it was optional for them, but their children never had a choice. So then she thinks about her father. She goes, my father, a man born in erudite who wasn't divergent, who could not help but be smart, choosing abnegation and engaging in a lifelong struggle against his own nature and ultimately fulfilling it. A man warring with himself. That internal war doesn't seem like a product of genetic damage. It seems completely purely human. So she's sort of thinking like, yeah, I don't think Caleb's that damaged, even though he is. And she's like, my father's not damaged. But she keeps thinking like, oh, my father's a saint because he was born an erudite and he made the choice to go into abnegation. But she thinks because he was born an erudite, he's genetically predisposed to being smart. She says he can't help but be smart because he was born an erudite. And yet his grandma could have been born in Candor for all we know. And she could have changed at her initiation ceremony. I think what Veronica keeps forgetting is that there is that choice. The whole premise of the first book was that Triss chose to be dauntless, meaning that there's already swapping around. There's intermingling between the factions. We know so many people have changed factions. So just because he was born an erudite doesn't mean that he's one of the ones with fucked up genes to be smart. Like, ugh, oh, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, this book doesn't matter. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it across the room. And so finally, David's like, mm, this has been a lot to process because he's reading the room because everyone's just like trapped in their own thoughts, looking agog and aghast. And he goes, and you guys are pretty tired. So how about we leave it for now? We get you some rest and we'll catch up later. And so then Triss, 
genius Triss, she goes, wait a minute. She's thinking about the photo in her pocket and how when Zoe gave her the photo, she knew her name. And she goes, you said you've been observing us. How? And then she's looking at the rows and rows of screens around her. (laughs) And so Zoe's like, oh my God, she asked, she asked the tough question. She purses her lips. And so then David nods to someone and then that person turns on all the computer screens. And so they light up and oh my God, it's footage from inside of Chicago, from inside of the fence. She says, there's the Dauntless headquarters. There's the Merciless Mart. There's Millennium Park. There's the Hancock building. There's the hub. So yeah, these people have probably watched you bang on top of the Jay Pritzker Pavilion. And David says, well, you've always known that the Dauntless observed the city with security cameras. Well, we have access to those cameras too. And he's just a bit nonchalant about it, I can tell. But she's like, oh my God, they've been watching us. And it's like, yeah, no fucking shit. I'm not that shocked by that. I don't know why she's so shocked by it, considering he just told her that there was a purity war where half the country died. And then all these random people signed up to be locked into a city. And have their memories wiped as well. Like that's a big ask of someone. And she's like, yeah, yeah, reasonable, reasonable. And then he says all this crazy stuff. And then he says, oh yeah, we've been watching you guys. And she's like, what? Holy shit. So then they're walking out of that control room. They're going through the security checkpoint on their way to like, I don't know, dorms or something. And she thinks about just leaving. She's like, maybe I'll just grab my gun and go for a run. She's like, I want to run away from this place where they've been watching me since I was small. They were watching when Peter attacked me and yet they did nothing. They were watching when my faction was put under a simulation and turned into an army, when my parents died and they did nothing. What else have they seen? And yeah, I agree with her, like about the putting a whole faction under a simulation and turning them into an army thing. Like that's probably the point where you would maybe step in. I can sort of agree with them maybe not stepping in just for her being attacked by Peter. Like terrible for you, but we're not going to risk the whole centuries long experiment on just your welfare, Soz. But she doesn't leave. She says, I can't leave these people before I find out how they knew my mother, which is interesting. I don't know where she comes into it just yet. So they go to this dorm room and David tells them that this part of the compound was a hotel connected to the airport by a tunnel. And this room was once the ballroom. Okay, so they're in a hotel ballroom. Who gives a shit? And she says, again, these words mean nothing to us, but he doesn't seem to notice. And it's like, I don't know why we're being told this, honestly, Tris. I'm on your side on that one. I think that's just Veronica trying to give the reader some context. Whereas like, she don't care. It's like how they were like, this place used to be called Chicago O'Hare Airport. It's like, they don't give a fucking shit. That means nothing to them. That's solely for our benefit. So David leaves. And she looks over and Tobias is having a bit of a freak out. He's biting his nails, which apparently he's never done before. And she's like, oh, he must be really stressed about this. And then she goes, too bad. And she runs out and follows David because she wants to ask about her mother more than she wants to care after her partner, which, yeah, okay, understandable. Bit rough, but it's understandable. She's got questions. So she says to David, hi, my name is Tris. I believe you knew my mother. (laughs) I love how she's introducing herself. Like she didn't just get a whole big spiel from this guy about genetic manipulation and civil war. And he's like, yeah, hi, Tris. Uh, Of course, I I recognize you. Like, I know who you are, bub. You're the superhero with the great genes. And when he says, I recognize you, she thinks, from where? Those creepy cameras that followed my every move? And she, she puts her arms over her chest. She's like, oh, I'm so annoyed that they watched this experiment. I'd be annoyed at the experiment. And yeah, they had cameras, but I don't think those cameras were everywhere. She's sort of suggesting that like, yeah, the cameras watched her first steps. They watched her like in her house. I don't, I don't know if they were watching in houses. 
Public spaces, sure. I don't think they were watching you banging in your room. Maybe on top of the J Pritzker Pavilion. Yeah, they might've seen that. But when you're in your own room and you're banging four, I don't think they saw that. So she says, Zoe gave me this picture. You're standing next to my mum. What's the deal? And he's like, oh yeah, can I see the picture? And she's like, here it is. And he says, she took a trip back to us once before she settled into motherhood. That's when we took this. And Tris is like, back to you? Was she one of you? And he goes, yep. She came from this place. We sent her into the city when she was young to resolve a problem in the experiment. And so Tris goes, oh my God. So she knew. She knew about this place and what was outside of the fence. And David looks puzzled. His bushy eyebrows furrowed and he goes, well, of course. But it's not well, of course, because everyone else got shot up with memory juice serum before they went into the experiment. So why would you not do that to her mum? Well, doesn't it like go against the rules of the experiment if she's in there without having her memory altered? And it's kind of fucking shitty. If you're making her go into the experiment with her memories intact and you make her go to abnegation of all factions, she couldn't even look in a mirror. She could only get a haircut once a year. She was eating like dry oats. Like this poor woman, she suffered. She suffered so much. I wonder what it is that she had to do. Like, what did she have to do in the experiment to fix things? Because clearly she was doing a shit job of it because yeah, again, there was a genocide. So Tris is shaking from that news. And she's like, so she knew you were watching us at every moment, watching as she died, as my father died, as everyone started killing each other and you didn't send anybody in to help her, to help me. All you did was take notes. And he's like, well, you got me. He goes, Tris. And she says, don't call me that. You shouldn't know that name. You shouldn't know anything about us. And maybe she's onto something there because do the, do the cameras have audio? Like I get that they've seen a lot of stuff, but how did they hear her be like, my name's Tris now when she got into Dauntless? Doesn't feel like they should know that unless there's subtitles. I don't, I don't know why he knows that. And so she walks back into the room. She's like, fuck off, David. But there was this one moment there. Let's just jump back a little second. So when he's looking at the photo of himself and her mum, she says he smooths down the photo with his fingertips and there's a strange smile on his face as he looks at it, like he's caressing it with his eyes. And she feels like she's intruding on a private moment. And that's when he says she took a trip back to us once before she settled into motherhood. Do we think this guy was fucking Triss's mum? That's the vibe I'm getting. I think, I think they were banging. And then that makes me think, could he be Triss's dad? Could he be Caleb's dad? I don't know if there's something there, but let's put a pin in that. Okay, so then she goes back into the hotel ballroom slash shitty little dorm room that they've set up. And she says, no one's adjusting well. Peter's lying facing the wall. Uriah and Christina sit side by side having a convo in low voices. Caleb's massaging his temples. Tobias is still biting those fingernails. And Kara is on her own dragging her hand over her face. And Tris says, for the first time since I met her, she looks upset. The erudite armor gone. Weren't they in jail together in chapter one? And and this is the first time she's ever seen her look upset. (laughs) And so she sits down and says, you don't look so good. Like, oh my God. Are you candor all of a sudden? Because that's very blunt and honest. And so Kara looks at Tris and she goes, yeah, that's kind of you to say. And she looks really annoyed. And also just a reminder, Tris killed her brother. (laughs) And this is the worst she's ever looked. And she's like, well, the problem is Tris. I'm an erudite. It's the only thing I am. 
And they've told me that that's the result of some kind of flaw in my genetics. And that the factions themselves are just a mental prison to keep us under control. Like, what'd you think they were? Just like Evelyn Johnson and the factionless said, so why did I form the Allegiant? Why did I bother to come out here? Okay, so she's really having a hard time trying to process that information. And Triss goes, oh wow, I didn't realize how much Kara had already cleaved to the idea of being an Allegiant, loyal to the faction system. For me, it was just a temporary identity, powerful because it could help me get out of the city. But for her, the attachment must have been much deeper. No shit, bitch. She formed the Allegiant. She's the leader of the Allegiant. She's like, wow, she must have really cared about the Allegiant. Uh, da doi. And Triss is like, well, it's good to get the truth though. And Kara's like, well, yeah, but it means I need other words for what I am. Like, oh God, relax. And Triss is thinking internally. She's like, yeah, I get it. She says, after my mum died, I clung to that word divergence to help define me. And then she goes, now I'm wondering if I needed any more. If we ever really needed these words, dauntless, erudite, divergent, allegiant. Hmm. Maybe we can just be friends or lovers or siblings defined by our choices and the love and loyalty that binds us. And I guess that's the whole premise of this book. And it's like, but yeah, you never needed the factions. You never needed the words. It's all mumbo jumbo. And David just said as much. He said, you were the only ones with a behavioral component at first, and now two other cities have a behavioral component. So there's a lot of experiments going on without these words. And she's like, maybe we don't need the words. Uh, exactly. So then Kara says, your boyfriend's over there gnawing his hands off. Why don't you go and check on him? And she's like, oh yeah, I better check on him. So she finally goes and checks on Tobias, who's having that crisis. And she goes, you all right? (laughs) Wow, you can sense the love between them, can't you? I've never heard a more caring phrase be uttered from one lover to another. You all right? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. <laughs> May as well just end the podcast there because that's just, we're, never, we're not going to get better dialogue than that, are we? He goes, yeah. And then he goes, actually, you know what? No, not really. I'm just thinking about how meaningless life was, you know, the faction system, how it all meant nothing. <laughs> so you're not all right. And he says, well, we really put everything we had into that faction system. Like All of us, even if we didn't realize it, we really gave it our all. And she goes, that's what you're thinking about? And she raises her eyebrows. What a bitch. She's like, that's what you're thinking about? Tobias, they were watching us. Everything that happened, everything they did, they were watching us and they didn't intervene. They just invaded our privacy constantly. And he's like, yeah, I don't really care about that. You know, the Dauntless were watching us all the time anyway. See, Tobias doesn't give a shit about the cameras. He's like... Yeah, I'm not hung up on that one little thing. I'm hung up on the whole, our whole life was a lie thing, which Triss got over very quickly. She's all hung up on the cameras and she doesn't really seem to care so much about everything else. And Four says, yeah, there was cameras everywhere. Remember I warned you about it in initiation. And so she remembers when he said that people were watching you and he looked up into like the corner and she's like, oh, he was telling me that people were watching me through cameras. She says, his cryptic warnings hiss between his teeth. I never realized he was warning me about cameras. It just never occurred to me before. What did you think he was talking about? Was he talking about ghosts? What? What do you mean? And Force says, yeah, it used to bother me that we were being watched all the time, but then I got over it. And she's like, well, I don't like it. It means that they saw us in trouble and they didn't help. Experiment or not, that's, that's mean. And she goes, and I cringe, all the things they saw And he smiles and he's like, oh yeah? And she's like, what? And he goes, I was thinking about some of the things that they saw. Okay, so maybe there were cameras in their bedrooms because Tobias seems to be segueing that they 
were watching them have sex. So now they should have sex. Cause then he puts his hand on her waist and she's grinning back at him. So I'm like, are you guys going to bang in the dorm? Like this is an open plan area. And she says, you know, the bureau setting up the factions is not much different than what we thought happened. A long time ago, a group of people decided that the faction system would be the best way to live. That's kind of exactly what David said. I love how she's just regurgitating what David said, Ben. Like, I figured it out, you know. I finally figured it out. You're just repeating what he said. And Tobias is like, yeah, I guess. But there's so much that was a lie. It's hard to figure out what was true, what was real, what matters. And yet, remember, they did history lessons of fake history. That would take a long time to unpack, like the truth and everything. So then they hold hands and they touch foreheads and she thinks, oh, thank God for this, which is just something she thinks out of habit. And then she's like, wait a minute, what if God's not real? And then we get like super into this like theological debate for for a quick paragraph. She goes, what if God's not real? (laughs) She goes, huh, what if my parents' God, their whole belief system is just something concocted by a bunch of scientists to keep us under control. And she thinks, oh, does that mean that we have to change? because now we know how our world was made. And she's like, I don't know, the thought rattles me. So she's just had a full existential crisis for like three seconds. And then she went, you know what? I'm not prepared to think about that right now. So she kisses him instead. And do we think that Veronica Roth is like using this as an atheist metaphor or something? Should we be examining our thoughts about the existence of God? Like what? I I don't know. I feel like I got super heavy there for a second, Veronica. You're really making the reader confront their own beliefs right now. So then he makes a laugh and they laugh and they kiss. And she's like, ah, well, at least I'm not alone. I have friends. I'm in love. I know where I came from. Well, okay. Only just. She says, I know that I don't want to die. And for me, that's something more than I could have said a few weeks ago. And so they push their cots together and they stare into each other's eyes. Then they fall asleep and she smiles while falling asleep. And that's the end of that chapter. So I, I would love to say that we learned a lot and I really, I'm just left with more questions. Like, I just want to know what's going on with the rest of the country while these people are locked up in cities. Are they just going about their day with their damaged or non-damaged genes? Are pure gene people still hanging out with faulty gene people? Are, are they dating? Uh, or is it like a, a West Side Story type of situation where the sharks and the jets don't mix? Like, is there segregation? Is it on people's driver's license, whether they have shitty genes or not? I'd really love to know, but also I don't want to know because. I don't want to read anything else from this author ever again. So if she doesn't address it in this book, it's going to be a mystery to me forever. Anyway, let's leave it there. I'll catch up with you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. 
So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.